Hello and welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I'm Russ. I'm Gordon. Gordon, my friend, you've been on a bit of a tear with questions of late. What heretic concepts will suffer the slings of your warhammer this week? Which huh? ivory tower will you destroy? Everything I can find. Good <laughs> man yourself. So the reason I got to this was that there was a post on the Camera Club forum where a member was asking for opinions about choosing a mirrorless system. And the reason that was given was to surmount the difficulties that this person was having with the heft of the current DSLRs that they were using and the associated lenses. Okay, fair enough. We've talked in the past about the transition from DSLR to mirrorless. And one of the things that you know we talked about in the past is it doesn't always mean smaller or less weight. But in some cases it does. And so I think it's a fair question. But if the question is about DSLR or mirrorless in terms of direction, how did this get you to tripods? Ah, yes. Well, in my last first aid class, I was informed that the brain actually has convolutions. And apparently, mine has more. You have more convolutions? I have. Or more brain? brain. Oh, definitely not more oh. brain. Well, I would disagree. But anyway, <laughs> please go on. And so here we are. Because sometimes the convolutions get straightened out. And I go from A to B in a very straight line. So I responded fairly politely that they had paid good money for the camera. They have some very fancy lenses. They shoot really nice images with the above-mentioned camera. And if the camera was too heavy to hold easily, put it on a tripod and save yourself a bunch of money. Well, congratulations on placing yourself on the hit target list for every mirrorless manufacturer. Because what you are doing is thinking logically, and they hate that, because it gets in the way of people buying stuff they may not actually need. Well, you yes, uh, there, there was that, because the heavens opened up, and I was introduced to the concept of fire and brimstone and firsthand, actually. So it seemed like a good time to talk about tripods. And here we are. Okay. I think that that's a good thing to do. How do you want to approach it? Well, that's the problem. I have all this stuff buzzing around in my head, and that's sometimes really hard to follow. But how about we tackle individual issues with the, with the associated pros and cons? And maybe you could enlighten us as to what prompted the developments of the tripods in the first place. Okay, I think that's a, a, a good place to start, because as we've quoted Ms. Andrews in the past, the very beginning is a very fine place to start. And it goes on. It does. And, uh, and again, and again. See? There you go. <laughs> so let's look at some of the rationale and the deliverables that were required for photography. And historically, if we look back into the olden days, when my hair was Yesterday? brown. When my hair was brown. <laughs> much longer time ago, we were 
often thinking about the weight of the camera because we're using very large cameras. Now, I know that there are folks who say, oh, my DSLR is very large. Okay, but I don't think so. An 11 by 14 plate camera is very large and very cumbersome, and 8 by 10 and 4 5 as well. So the weight of those cameras prevented them from being handheld devices. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can recall, not personally, as far as you know, back in the 40s, the popularity of the Graflex or Speed Graphic. And that was a 4x5 camera, but it was used for, if you can believe it, street photography. Oh, excellent. An American photographer named Ouija was very well known for doing that. And he never used a tripod, but he was able to get his work done. So Jesus, I wonder, well, it makes me wonder about stuff. Weight was definitely a consideration, particularly for larger view cameras. But also, if we think back to the film at the time, we didn't have the range of light sensitivity that we have today with digital sensors. And so exposure times could get rather long. And we know that there is a limit to how low you can go before camera shake rears its Mm -hmm. uh, pointy little head. And some of us have determined that as time passes, our ability to safely handhold may require a slightly higher shutter speed than we needed when we were younger. Mm-hmm. Now, manufacturers are working hard on things like image stabilization and in-body image stabilization and a whole bunch of other acronyms, and that's all good stuff. But I'm always skeptical when I see claims like nine stops of image stabilization. You can handhold this at one second. Mm, sure. <laughs> How'd you like some land completely surrounded by water? Because I got some. Right. <laughs> In fact, some of the water is over the land, about three feet oh, over. Oh, there you go. Yeah, so I said oh. completely surrounded. The other consideration, of course, was as the size of the plate, or we can still say as the size of the sensor is larger, the amount of depth of field that we're going to get at any given lens opening is less. And so we may go to smaller and smaller lens openings in order to get the depth of field that we want in a single image. Now, of course, we can do things like focus stacking and all that. But if we look at it from the context of the average photographer, focus stacking is not something they're going to do. They're not going to think about that. And so a good way to get a long exposure without having to spend a lot of time in the digital darkroom or have a camera that did, does stacking in camera, was to simply put it on a tripod and not worry about it. And so consequently, when you think about the issues of potential weight, transport, structure, and support, tripods were a necessity. Is that still true now? What do you think? Certainly everything you've said is, is true, but somewhere between then and now, we went through a phase where tripods were more commonly used. And uh, how, at, at that phase in time, how, how did you see tripods as being used? What, what was the main utility? And obviously, there's the stability factor, but uh, anything else that went along with that? Or where would you use it? Yeah, absolutely. And I would say, I would say that they're still true today. So one example would be studio photography. 
If the camera's not moving, the subject's not moving, the lights aren't moving, put the camera on a tripod and then you can stop worrying about, you know, your composition. You can focus on motivating your subject or turning that subject, you know, that eighth of an inch to get the composition that you want. The tripod makes that easy. And that becomes particularly important if you're doing commercial work. Mm -hmm. You want the reflections in exactly the right place. You want to be able to ensure that you are getting only the things that you want in the frame so you're able to manage your color properly. You know, we've, we've joked in the past that if you photograph a Coca-Cola product and you get the colors wrong, they're never going to hire you. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're having to worry about holding the camera while you're dealing with that and worrying about getting stuff into frame, because many, of a, many folks are working from smaller let's call them home studios rather than renting an expensive studio space mm -hmm. with 25 foot ceilings and all these lights and big backdrops and stuff. Another place where I, I find tripods are still really important is in close-up photography and macro photography. From my perspective, and I know people do things differently, if I want a decent macro image without having to take 400 shots and then mask each of the portions of them so I get a single sharp image. And I appreciate you can do that, but let's be clear. <laughs> I don't want to. Yeah, that's right. And, sure. and lots of folks do don't that. want to, so put it on a tripod. Use a remote release or use the self-timer and you're laughing. A lot of what folks like to do is long exposure photography. Oh, I'd like to get the clouds scudding across the sky. Or, you know, there's this little creek or brook that's falling over rocks. It's not a waterfall. We're not talking Victoria Falls here, but we want to allow the water to move while we're capturing the image, some long exposures. You may even want to do perhaps some time-lapse stuff. You know, I can remember many decades ago, the wonderful world of Disney, mm -hmm. the opening frames would show a flower opening over time, right. time-lapse. Yes. Mm -hmm. I still think that's very cool. And we have both great stills capability and great video capability in our cameras today. I can do that myself now. Right. But the camera wants to be and should be on a tripod. Right. Because I don't want to have to reposition every freaking frame because I move. Right. And I move. And finally, no matter how good our sensors are getting and how more sensitive we are to light, we are also always trying to manage the noise floor. Right. So if we're working in low light and we want to keep the noise floor relatively low, that's going to mean a longer exposure and that's going to mean a tripod. Because just because the camera can do a million ISO doesn't mean it looks good. No, it doesn't. It, it looks like a beach explosion with some false color attached to it. While tripods were perfectly required back in the olden days, I submit that they're still required. They're still useful. They're still viable. But there may be things that I've missed. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, a thing that doesn't get spoken about much is using a tripod to facilitate your composition. You, you did mention placing it and turning, turning it slightly in. And I, I think that's, that's a very good part of it because... It takes a little effort, but once you get your tripod into that position, you don't have to strain or wait. Or if the flower is moving, you don't have to be in a hurry. 
And as you mentioned, you don't have to push your shutter speed up and your ISO along with it. You can just sit and wait. And when the time comes and it stops moving for a fraction of a second, which is all that you need, you have already got the composition. You've already got the focus. All you got to do is press the button. It also allows you to you visualize the image in wherever your visual cortex is. You got it all set up, and the beautiful light that you saw has just disappeared. You can't stand there with a tripod or with a camera in your hand and wait for that light to come back because by the time it comes back, you now have to go back to square one and rearrange everything again. Just doing that adds a huge series of things to your armamentarium. Also, it allows you to use special effects if you so desire. You may have a subject that's set back a little bit and say more out of the wind, but something in front is moving and you want to hold this and get a slow shutter so that you can have the foreground blurring out and letting the main subject be in sharp focus. Uh, the same things that I mentioned apply. You can get it set up the way that you want and wait for the conditions to be right. So this doesn't have to do with, but it does have to do with the stability and stuff, but it has to do with your convenience. And there, there are some conditions where you actually can't get to that, to that image because a number of people have said, well, we'd like to have this screen that moves around so that we can get down low enough to see where you're going. Well, yeah, but if you put your camera on a tripod, and took the time to get it in the position, you now have the tool that you require to be able to get that shot. Everything you've said makes enormous sense. And even if your camera has one of those rotating flippy screens on the back, I'm going to say if you've got the camera low to the ground on a tripod and you flip the screen so you can see it, that's still easier than lying on your belly in the mud with stuff biting you. Uh, yeah. And the other thing that I've noticed in what your comments were is what you're talking about in every example is making an image with intent. Yes. It's not a casual snapshot. You've thought about it. You've thought about what you want to achieve. And the tripod simply becomes a tool like the camera or the lens to help you achieve your intent. So... I don't know how you can be focused on intent if all you're worrying about is the tripod or not you or worrying about more correctly not using a tripod. Right. And actually that that adds uh, something to this because a large part of photography is getting rid of the the uh, distractions. And very often we don't know what those distractions are because we never saw them. You're so busy getting the subject in focus and doing everything else that you want and waiting to get the light just right. You never saw that lamppost coming out of somebody's head. But if you put your camera on a tripod and it's sitting there and waiting, you can now stand back and look at your image at your leisure and say, oh, wait a minute, there are things out there that 
you can make a decision about, okay, fine, it's there, I'm going to leave it there because everything else fits, but I'll take it out in post-processing. Or if there's something else going on, you can plan your next steps because everything is set up and you can look and you can see it. Well, I think again, that makes sense. Now I'm curious about something I've seen happening though, and and I'd really like to hear your thoughts on it, because for years, respected, intelligent photographers who shoot with intent accepted the use of a tripod as being a necessary part of their creative process of creating their art. But I don't know if that that's still current, and I don't know if that's driven by the prevalence of so-called smartphone photography or, or what. Do you see any of that happening? I see it happening. In, in fact, there's a, there's, a huge, there's a huge move towards that. As you mentioned, cameras have the ability to give you five stops, seven stops of image stabilization, and you can shoot down to you know, one-tenth of a second and all that kind of stuff. Okay, that's, that's fine. That's good. You can. But the photographers you're talking about, they made practice of fully evaluating the image before they, before they press that shutter. And that may be something that is changing, whether it's intentionally changing or changing because we can, I don't know. Do you, do you sense that there's a movement out there to not use a tripod? Yes. Yes, there is definitely that. I'm hearing uh, some of our club members will say, oh, I can't be bothered to use a tri- tripod. All that they're, I don't use them because they're a pain to set up. And or I, I made this photograph without a tripod. Look yeah, there, at me. There's, there's a lot of that, and and they didn't make it because they had to. They made it because I can. I I, I don't know. I can. Well, you know, more power to you. But okay. So let me ask you a question. Someone says, "I can't be bothered using a tripod. They're a pain to set up." What's your take on this? They are a pain to set up, sort of. Because like most things, the pain that they're talking about is the pain of unfamiliarity. This gets less with practice and with familiarity. It used to be that the way of mounting a camera, you had to screw the tripod mounting thingy into the hole in the bottom of the camera, and that took like forever. And you could get a certain amount of tilt out of the head, but to get that camera level, it was difficult. And then you had to play with the legs to get that level. So, yes, at that time, they were a painter's head. Okay. However, since then. But uh, that was 50, 60 years ago. Right. It was 50, 60 years ago. But sometimes we don't know uh, what else is now available. I mean, we go into the store and we see the tripod there and it's got the head attached to it already. And we say, okay, yes, this looks okay to me. And we buy it. But in a previous podcast, I believe it was 162, I think, we did talk about the various heads 
that were available in the various arms and the gizmos and the gimbals and the cinematography, which points to the fact that each of these heads is designed for a particular reason. And depending upon what you want to do, you have to choose the head to match your case usage. Okay. And then use it. And eventually, th this whole concept of attaching a camera, we have quick-release arms, we've got brackets, we've got snap-ons, we've got pretty much anything you want. So if it facilitates your work, the tools are out there that will allow you to do it. Okay, and I agree, because I don't see any of those things as a bother. Honestly, I haven't seen them as a bother in the last 30 years. Because that stuff's been around for a long time. Yep. When it's, I hear someone say, oh, I just can't be bothered, or this is a pain, my take is they haven't bothered to learn. But I've also heard you say, yeah, but they're right. They can't be bothered. Well, that's true. They can. Yeah. But what's the point of that? Like, are they going to get better images as a result, or are they going to get more questionable stuff or more junk? We talked about intent before. So the real question is, what, what is it that is doing the bothering? Is it because they can't set up and take down fast enough so they can take more images, or they just want to take the images and move on to the next? The end result is most likely that you will get more mediocre images rather than a few good ones. However, if your intent is like some of the well-renowned photographers whose aim was to study the nuance of the image in, in well, seven ways to sundown, then maybe if you came back with one good image for the day, you would be ahead of the game. And part of the, part of the issue, I suppose, could be digital. It doesn't cost you money now. It's easy to take a lot of, it's easy to take a lot of pictures. Yes, just, yes. Just hold the button down and it'll blast away at 14 frames per second, which is great, but after 60 seconds, you've got something on the order of hundreds of, on their best day, mediocre images. And who wants to edit that? And even if you don't, even if you don't get that many, it's still, you may get 10 images where if you had to pay for them, you would make sure you got one. Clearly, you're a proponent of, of using a tripod. Is it your perspective that all images should be made with a tripod? No. There are places where using a tripod would not be in your best interest. An example would perhaps be street photography or any offshoot of street photography. Every now and again, you have to get a shot which, asking the permission to take the photograph, etc., will you you lose that moment, you lose mm -hmm. the expression, you use lo lose the tear running down the kid's cheek, whatever it is. So, in that sort of situation, just having a tripod, it, it doesn't work. I can think of maybe wedding photography. There are formal aspects of wedding photography where it serves everybody that you have the tripod, camera on a tripod, and uh, maybe maybe a cable release or a remote release, and you can uh, do everything you have to for 
you don't have to be surreptitious, but you don't want to be in everybody's face either. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that works. But once you get to the reception, and again, you're back to the catching the fleeting moment, tripods don't work. Wildlife photography would be another one. They're usually transient, they're spontaneous, they're instantaneous. You can have a tripod set up and you can wait for the, for the image to come in. But if something comes out suddenly in front of you, you, you need to be able to react with a, without a tripod. Okay. And in some images, of course, uh, there's the actual inability of you, just as I mentioned earlier, that some images are facilitated by you being able to put things down low. There are some places where you just can't get the tripod and the camera set up the way you want it. Oh, in which case, yes, you're down on your belly and you're trying your best. Or an example that I know up close and personal is sports photography. On my best day, I might be able to use a monopod yeah. just to hold up that giant lens. But right. if I plant a tripod on the edge of a football field, <laughs> I'm about to get removed by the, you know, the operators of the sport because I'm creating a health hazard. Yeah. It's fair to say that there are images that are well facilitated by the use of a tripod, and then there are scenarios where the tripod just isn't going to be a good fit. Right. What are your thoughts about this assertion that setting up the tripod is a pain? Now, one of the things that you've already said is, well, yeah, it was once, but there are tools available to make it easy. Probably the, pre- the, the point I think I already made is, Yes, they they are bulky. They're difficult to carry, sort of, because tripods are changing in character. They're getting lighter. They're getting easier. They're getting smaller. But the point that we made earlier is that no one tripod is going to serve you for everything. Depending upon what you're doing at any given moment in time, You may need a different tripod. If you're in the studio, you might need one variety. If you're on a trip somewhere, you're going to accept a degree of compromise with a lighter, maybe not quite as stable, but which will do you in good stead in that situation. So one tripod, like the lenses that are supposed to, you know, one lens is all that you need. Well, one tripod probably isn't all that you need. You may need more than one. Okay. I I accept that. But, you know, one of the things that we talk about as photographers is that we must practice. Yes. And build familiarity with our equipment. So it doesn't become a barrier to our creative process. Learning to use a tripod is exactly the same thing. I mean, if you go out the first day with your tripod and you don't know how to unlock the head so you can move it, or you don't know how to lock or unlock the legs, you're going to end up hating the device, and it's not the device's fault. It's your fault because you didn't prepare. You know, I've heard that. You know, and, and I think this also goes with this, well, they're all bulky and awkward. Harry, you said that not every tripod solves every problem. Right. I agree. But as a generalization that all tripods are bulky and awkward, I think that's massively flawed. I just don't buy it at all. Now, if you want bulky and awkward, please 
load up your four or five, go on a long hike and carry, take the tripod that's going to be needed to hold it stable for a two minute exposure. That's bulky and awkward. That's awkward. That is awkward. To the point you've made, tripods have evolved over time. I have a really right stuffed travel tripod that I can take pretty much anywhere. And because it's built right with the right materials, I can put a heavy camera like my Hasselblad with its 300 millimeter lens on that little tripod and get great images. Now, we'll talk about cost and investment a little bit later on, but you actually do get what you pay for. And so I think that's something that we need to address before we shut the podcast down. Any other thoughts on this concept of bulk and difficulty? I mean, you talked about it already. There is no one lens to rule them yep. all. There's no one tripod to rule them all. So if you're going to go out into the field and use a tripod, and I know you do, I've seen you moving around with some kind of contraption over your shoulder with the tripod extended. Maybe you can talk to the listeners about what you're doing there and why it makes sense to you. Yes, well, that sort of came about because of uh, this concept of them being difficult and, to, and bulky to carry. Uh, and uh, to that I agreed because, yes, just trying to carry it around with you is. And... I am bone lazy. I will not do anything that I don't have to do, and I'll make everything as easy as I possibly can. So my my reason for doing this is that I, if I'm going to have a tripod in the in the field, there are two aspects to this. A, you've got to try got to get a tripod from wherever you are to where you're going. In that scenario, it doesn't really matter how you carry your tripod. You can stick it in the back of the car, you can strap it down to all those fancy things that people uh, tell you you can do with your with your backpack or with the bag that you're carrying. It doesn't matter. But once you get into the field, it now does matter. And the criteria that I use is I have to be able to set this tripod up quickly and easily. It should not be sticking out in various places so that it's a risk to others. Or to myself, because you trip on a tripod if you're walking on a narrow trail, you're going to kill yourself. And I prefer that my hands are free so that I can haul myself up and down as well or prevent myself from falling down a hill. So you're not carrying the tripod in your hands. I am not carrying it. So what I do, what I have rigged up on pretty much all my tripods, I have zip ties on one set of legs and... Threaded through those zip ties, I have flexible, quick-release mechanisms. And on an old, unused camera strap, I have the other part of that quick-release mechanism. So the carrying mechanism of the tripod now becomes similar to carrying a rifle. It's slung over either one shoulder or both shoulders. It can be crossways across your back. It can be um, hanging down, or or it could be horizontal, depending on where you balance the strap on your shoulders. So you're now carrying this. Your hands are free. You're not taking any of the weight in your arms. And carrying it around is, if you need to, you can snap that up into position very easily, provided 
and there's a proviso. Generally, when your tripod is at working height, unless the tripod is perfectly matched to your height, which in my case it generally never is, when I set it up, I will have to either lower or raise, well, lower something. And so I set my camera up, or the tripod up, sorry, and I adjust it to the height that I want, which will usually leave one set of legs partially extended, and I leave them that way. The others get retracted to their maximum amount, so that if I have to set up the camera, there's only, there's only two, generally two sections that I have to pull out, and I don't have to adjust them because they're already adjusted to my height. So pull out, lock it in place, and you're ready to go. I've tried carrying a tripod strapped to the bag. Yes, it looks very nice, and you look very professional, but by the time you put your bag down, you get the tripod off, you figure out where it's going, you either miss the opportunity or you're or you've missed your motivation, one way or the other. I've seen videos of Moose Peterson. He carries a tripod horizontally across both shoulders with his arm draped over it, or over one shoulder with the lens. Camera attached, lens pointing down. I don't do that because I have a firm belief that if there is something that can fall off and break, it will. And if I'm going to do that, I usually have a length of parachute cord, which I have attached to the tripod mount on the lens, and it's attached to the tripod. I'm fortunately fairly good at knots, so that way, if it does come loose from the mounting, it's not going any further than the length of that rope. And I've mentioned the, my jerry-rig system. It sounds like you've thought this through, and you found a working model that works for you. Works for me, yes. And it could work for someone else if they would just try. Now, I know when you go into a store, you go to buy a tripod, invariably somebody wants to sell you a tripod case. This is just my opinion, but now it's time for you to move on or take the money that would go into that case you will actually never use and put it into better legs or a better head. But are there some other things that you think about doing obvious things that you would care to share? Yeah, I think the commonest mounting device that we have on the tripod is probably the ball head. And I use that. I don't have any experience with the others. I don't have experience with fluidic heads and cinematography heads and the ones with arms. and But generally... My uh, ball head has a ball and a socket. And for this, you don't have to fuss about getting the old-style tripods horizontal. And you, you can set it up any which way you want. You can have one leg going out horizontally and the other two straight down, whatever works. The rest of it will be taking care of that ball head. I mean, that's what ball heads are designed for. Ask your hips. They'll tell you. The other aspect of this that I found out on one occasion when I tried to shoot a panorama is if you have a separate horizontal, I don't know what they call it, the landscape. Um, landscape pivot, block. Pivot block point. something. Make sure that you take the time. This is a, this is a situation where you need to get horizontal. 
so for the panorama for panoramas, you're saying this is where leveling becomes really important. This is this is crucial because otherwise some of your panorama yeah, it's some of your panorama is gonna go in one direction and it's gonna drop off to pretty quick. Okay, that seems reasonable, but again, if you're choosing a good head, they'll often have that ability where you can get that camera level. And hey, worst case, I can't think of a camera that doesn't have a digital electronic level built into the viewfinder right now. The leg portion the leg is, portion is important. And and I agree because all of my tripods have a leveling plate. There you go. So maybe the, those are some of the, the other things that we might want to think about in terms of selecting a tripod. Right. You were going to um, mention cost because I know if you look on Amazon, you will find, oh, there's a huge selection of tripods and your tendency or temptation is to rush out and buy A, B, and C brand. And uh, I know you have opinions about that. Well, I do. I think that there is a big difference in reality between a more expensive tripod, more expensive head, than the cheapest one, or even a clone of an existing superior brand. And we see a lot of clones particularly through e-tailers, like an Amazon, for example. Oh, this is just like a Gitzo. No, the hell it isn't. <laughs> so there's a lot of things that we need to look about, look at when we think about this sort of stuff. I spent a lot of money on my tripods. I admit it. And when carbon fiber became viable, I replaced everything I owned that had aluminum legs, except for the tripod that I had exclusively for the 4x5. Okay. Everything else I went carbon fiber. But the carbon fiber I went for, I could not get in your generic camera store. Right. I would have had to order, special order a Gitzo, and I chose to special order really right stuff. Because all carbon fiber is not created equal. Right. You know, Bob's carbon fiber tripod for $69 or $169 from Amazon, the perfect travel tripod, just put some, extend the legs, put some weight on the head, and you're going to watch them flex and bend. Yeah, they're carbon fiber, but the walls of those tubes are very, very thin. Right. The diameter of those tubes is very thin. If you do that with a Gitzo, you do that with a really right step, you don't see that level of flex. Mm -hmm. Even if the tube diameter looks similar, there's a big difference in the quality of the weed. Right. And, you know, you'll see these, and I've seen them, clone tripods. Names not to, names being withheld to Protect the prevent spam, <laughs> honestly. Oh, it's a six times weave. It's an eight times weave. It's a 12 times weave. I don't even know what that means. Well, but uh, I, I look to it like my long past Aunt Joyce, who was a, Terrific when it came to knitting. But her stuff held up better because she used better wool. Right. A carbon fiber tripod will hold up better if it's using a better quality carbon fiber. Right. The more plasticizers in the carbon fiber, the more shatterable it is, the more likely it's going to flex and break. Good carbon fiber costs money. You don't have to like it, but, well, get over it. Because in this case, you actually do get what you paid for.
you're going to look for also when you look at the head. So why would you spend $500 on a, or $300 on a ball head when I can get one for 70 bucks? Here's because the tip. $5,000 camera is attached to it. You're putting a very expensive product on it, so don't skimp. But also, take that cheap head and partially unlock the locking mechanisms and see how smooth, or more correctly, not smooth movements are. Mm -hmm. A well-designed head is going to have very smooth movements right up until you lock it. And locking it should not require the strength of the former yes. Mr. Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. If you need to apply a lot of force or muscle to lock the tripod head so it doesn't move, it's a crap tripod head. Time to move on. And one of the challenges that we're going to find because of the more online buying than ever before, you don't necessarily know what you're going to get. Right. It looks nice in the picture. It looks great uh, in the picture, but it's junk when you get it. So this may be a case where you choose to stick with pop brand. And I'm going to recommend always really right stuff or get so. They're not inexpensive, but they will last you the rest of your life, presuming you don't do something incredibly stupid, like try to use it to stop an ocean liner or push <laughs> it away from the dock. You get the point. A good tripod should be the first one you bought, not the last one you bought. Mm -hmm. Many of us have been through this. We've all been there. Where we open the closet and we have to be cautious because we may be attacked by a pantheon of tripods we don't use any longer because they didn't work out. Buy your last tripod first. Spend yep. the money. And when people say, well, how much money should I plan to spend on my tripod? Well, let's use it this way. You spent $5,000 on that camera and lens. That's a lot of money. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of earnings. Spend 20% of that on your tripod and head. Sure. Is it overkill? I don't think so. Maybe you do. But $1,000 on a tripod and head is going to be a far, far superior buy than 100 bucks. Which is likely to bend, fly away, tip over, go over in a, in a short wind, or just shatter and break when it gets cold outside. And yep. by the way, where we live, it gets cold. And I have seen an unnamed store's house brand carbon fiber tripod shatter at minus 25. Right. You and I have both been out photographing at minus 25. Not for long, though. Because we stupid. <laughs> it was so much warmer in, That's right. in the car. What, were, what the hell we were doing? You know, look, for, look for also, when you're looking at your head for the tripod, you can look at your own head. That's a different problem. You should see a doctor. <laughs> look, for, look for marking scales that are precise. So if you're going to do a panorama, for example... You can see exactly how many notches you're going to make each rotation. Right. Rather than just a guess. Or if you're using a macro focusing plate. One without a scale is completely useless. Mm -hmm. You know, not all of us are Don Komarechka who can do the bob for 160 frames and then figure out how to mask each one individually to make amazing snowflake photos. Yep. Don's amazing. Am I ever going to do that? No way. Mm -mm. I haven't got that kind of patience or that kind of time. So think about these things when we're going to go buy our tripods. 
Because when you buy the right tripod for the use case you're going to use it, this is a something you brought up earlier. I want to come back to it. If you're doing nothing but studio photography, a travel tripod is probably not the best use case tripod for you. Mm -hmm. But if you're going into the field and you're going to hike, you want something that is as stable as you can possibly get and as light as you can possibly get because fatigue matters. Yep. So yeah, one tripod may not solve everything. But if you take the time to buy the right tripod based on your use cases, your odds of success are greater. And as you said, you know, strapping it to the bag or to a sling or to a tripod case, that all looks pretty in advertisements. But it's highly impractical when it comes to the real world. Find a method that works for you. And you found a method that works for you. Yep. I use a long, never thought to use an old camera strap. I use an old rifle sling. Yep. Same deal. And it's, Same got, deal. it's got a hoop. The hoop goes around the three legs, the bottom of the three legs. Right. The other side goes around the head collar and yep. I can just carry it. And I can leave the legs extended. Yep. It's back out of my way. I'm not trying to draw the thing like a two-handed broadsword. <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that when guys go to... Sh sheathe those seven foot long swords and the sheath is on their back they never have a problem with it i think the movies are fake but that's just my opinion <laughs> as always when you go out on one of these little expositionary quests i love what you discover and i'm very confident that our listeners will as well i hope they see the value of the point for the make better photos and videos podcast i want to thank everyone for listening Please subscribe so you get notified when a new episode is posted. I'm Ross. And I'm Gordon. And we will speak to you again very soon.